0: More than one way to know something. Sometimes we we know something, we know it intellectually. Okay, like we know facts and, and truths and details and information. And so we say that we know something. There's knowing something in an intellectual sense. Intelligence is involved, reason is involved. But there's actually a deeper there's a deeper way of knowing something. And I guess maybe the best way to describe it, I don't really know one particular word, but might be best described as knowing something experientially, as in I've experienced it. Or knowing something relationally. Um, you think about how you know your family members, your spouse, your children, things like that, parents. <laughs> When you say that you know them, you're not saying that you know facts about them. Like I can tell you their birthday, or I can tell you what color their eyes are, or I can tell you, you know, what their favorite TV show is, or, you know, their routine. That's intellectual knowledge that, that pretty much anybody could, could learn. But when we say that we know our family members, what we're actually saying is, we have a relationship with these people in which we have experienced what it's like (laughs) to be with those people. And because of that, we know them in a way that someone who might know all the facts in the world... Listen, you can take the world's leading scholar on Abraham Lincoln. Somebody that maybe has literally spent decades untold hours, researching, writing, studying. I mean, finding out everything. If if you ask a question about Abraham Lincoln, they could probably answer that question. And you can take the most world-renowned scholar about Abraham Lincoln, and they don't begin to know him like his wife did, who maybe doesn't even know as much about him as this scholar does. See, there's a difference between Knowing knowing something with our brain and knowing something through our experience or through a relationship. How many times have you talked about a ball game? You say, hey, who do you think is gonna win the game this weekend? And sometimes you might say something like, Well, on paper, this team ought to win easy. On paper. Now, what do we mean we say on paper? Well, if you look at the facts and the figures and the statistics and the records and all the roster, and you look at all this stuff, all you take, you collect all the information, and you go, you know what? The information says this team is going to beat this team. And how many times have we seen a team that should win on paper and find out they're not the better team at least on that day? See, you think you know something. Because you've got information. And then you find out that you know something different after an experience. There's a difference between knowing something with our head and knowing something by experience. Years ago, uh, I think, probably about 15 years ago, I had a gospel meeting in Lynchburg, Virginia. And Lynchburg is not too awful far, just a few hours from Washington, D.C. And at that time, my uncle Ryan was working at the Pentagon. He was in the Air Force. And we thought, hey, we're close to D.C. This would be a perfect opportunity to do that. And so my sons went with me on this trip. And before we had the gospel meeting, we went up a few days early. And we went to my uncle's house at D.C. And we had one day, literally one day in Washington, D.C., now, that's not really enough time to see a city like that with all of the history and all the things that there are to see. But, buddy, we gave it a run for his money. We did the best that we could. And one of the things that we did, and to this day, my boys would probably tell you it was the most memorable to them, is we went to the Smithsonian Museum. Particularly, we went to the branch of the museum that was dedicated to air and space. And there was an exhibit in that air and space museum now, I don't know if it was the actual one or if it was a replica. I don't really think it matters because standing this close to it and seeing even a replica of it with my, with my real eyes you know, face-to-face made an impact on me. They had an exhibit about Yuri Gagarin. Now, if you're not familiar with him, he is the first person that we know of who went to space and came back. Now, there may have been other people that the Russians shot up there that didn't make it back, and they just didn't talk about that, but he went up to space, and he came back. First person known in human history to experience that. Now, before he actually got struck to that rocket and sent up into outer space, there was an army of chemists, physicists, engineers, aerospace engineers. Literal, what we call rocket scientists. Who sat down with pencil and paper and slide rules and they ran equations and they ran tests. And they finally got to the point where on paper they knew we can send a man into space on a rocket and bring him back safely. They did it enough to... They, they, they had enough certainty that they committed millions of dollars of resources Countless hours of manpower to send somebody up into space. And I was standing there and I was looking at that little capsule that he was in and a a replica, perhaps, of the space suit that he wore. And I mean, I'm from here to this pew away from it, and I'm looking at it. And the first thing that dawned on me, the first thing I thought of was, this looks like a high school science fair project. (laughs) It was not high-tech looking. It looked like something that you would build in your backyard. And I remember thinking as I looked at that, there was an entire army of people on the design and engineering side of all of this who intellectually knew we can pull this off. But it's one thing to be sitting in a laboratory or in a launch room watching on TV with your paper and pencil and your calculations and figures going... Yeah, we can send him up there and bring him back. There's a difference between that and being the guy that they actually strapped to the rocket. On paper, they knew they could do it. But by experience, Yuri Gagarin knew that they did it. Why am I talking about I think I've been preaching long enough I can do this. I wasn't sure when I'd get to do this. You've got to have a certain amount of gray hair. You've got to have a certain amount of wrinkles. And you've got to have a certain number of years behind you before people will listen to your opinion and think there's any wisdom behind it. 26 years of local preaching, working with people of every background, walk of life, nationality, you name it. And there's something that I am completely convinced (laughs) of. Let Let me use my own expression. I know it. I might not get prove it to you on paper. I know it. I've experienced it. That one of the greatest deficits that the church has in reaching people who don't know Jesus is when we rely upon knowing things with our head, but people do not observe that we know it with our experience. Somebody asks us a question, well, what does the Bible say about, it? we can spout an answer. We can quote a scripture. We can turn to an example and say, well, over here in this book, it says this, book, chapter, verse, and all of that is good, and all of that's fine, and well, it has its place. It's important. It's valuable. There's a quote that someone said many years ago that Christianity <laughs> is not a religion that has been tried and found lacking. It is a religion that is lacking because it's seldom tried. In other words, oftentimes we're content with walking into buildings and memorizing facts, never letting the things that we learn intellectually be something that we actually experience personally. And so our Christianity is all here. Very little here. In my experience, that's not very persuasive. Now there was a time I think it was. There was a time I think it was. If you rewind the clock far enough back, not all that far, but far enough back, there were some things that were a given in our society. Most people had some degree of faith, some belief in God. Most people did. In fact, it would be rare that you would meet somebody who didn't believe in God, and probably, especially in this part of the country, who didn't just believe in God, but believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, Isaac and Jacob, and that Jesus of Nazareth was his son. That was pretty much a given anywhere you went. Most people that you met, Most people believe that the Bible was the source of what is right and what is wrong. It told us what God wanted for us, what God's will was, His desire, His wisdom, all of that, that all of that was found in Scripture. There was a time when we met people out on the street and all of that came preloaded. If you don't know this yet, I hope you do hope you'll believe me when I say that that time is no more. That time is no more. If you're still trying to operate like it's that time, you're going to find yourself with some obstacles and you're going to find yourself likely with some frustrations. Because see, in that world, you could just chat with somebody at work and get to talking about the Bible and say, well, you know, the Bible says... And that person would go, you know, I believe the Bible. And I believe that what the Bible says is true. And if you can show me that that's what the Bible says, then that's good enough for me. Because I believe that the Bible is right and I want to do what the Bible says. And so if you can show me that that's what the Bible teaches, then I'm right there with you. I'm not saying there's nobody like that anymore. I'm telling you, I have spent a lot of time Knocking on doors, sitting in people's kitchens and living rooms, talking to people on the street. I'm telling you, it's rare that I meet that person. Most of the time, the people I meet are skeptical about the Bible. Are not sure about God. <laughs> the best that you might get is. I believe there's some higher power. But now who or what or how that higher power is, I mean I, listen, I've literally had people tell me that we're here because of aliens. A, aliens planted us here millions of years ago, and that's the higher power that we all think of as God, as aliens, and they're they're about to come back any day now. The point is, there was a time when there were certain pre-loaded Expectations that we could just plug into, and information alone would be powerful, persuasive, and maybe be exactly what people needed as the last push to do what it is that that they need to do in a commitment to God. And while you will still encounter people that that is true for, for more people that that is not true at all. And it would be a shame if we just write those people off and say, well, you know, those people don't love God, believe in God, believe the Bible. You can't help those people. nothing you do, Because I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's true. But I do believe that we may have to have a different approach. If we want to have an impact on a world that is no longer a given, believe in God, believe in Jesus, and believe in the Scriptures. Now, how does that relate to us? I was talk to a minute ago. More and more, if I talk to somebody today and we begin to talk about important things like life and death and eternity and judgment and stuff like that, if I say, well, you know, the Bible says, immediately it's like, nah, I don't care what the Bible says. The Bible is just written by a bunch of men. That's that's the answer response I hear, like, well, you know, the Bible's given... The Bible's written by a bunch of men, you know, and you hear all kinds of stuff. You know, the Bible, well, the Catholic Church, you know, is one that gave us the Bible. You know, they did it about 300 years after Jesus. And and you hear all kinds of stuff. And so the point is, you can say, well, the Bible says, and you might as well say a Spider-Man comic book says, because it doesn't have any authority to that person. So what if the Bible says it? But I don't think that that means that we have our hands tied behind our backs when it comes to reaching people with the message of Jesus. In fact, I think that maybe right now we may have a more powerful opportunity than even before when people started with the assumption that the Bible was true. Have you ever been out in the dark and you 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 got lost? I mean, I mean I don't mean dark, I mean dark dark. My cousin Clayton he used to live I say he lived in Lawrenceburg, he lived out from Lawrenceburg, uh, kind of between Lawrenceburg and Summertown. And what my Uncle Fuzzy used to say is he said, we live so far out, we gotta pump the sunshine out. That's how far out, that's how far out we live. And I found out what he meant by that one night. We were probably 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that, and we had been out (laughs) playing around in the woods, and, and it got dark on us. And we were far from home, deep in the woods, and it got dark sooner than we expected. And it was a night where there wasn't any moon. And so when it got dark, it got dark. That kind of dark where you can't even see your hands in front of your face and you're trying to feel your way through the woods, and you know, you're twelve years old and you're hearing sounds and cracks and crackles and you know noises and you're scared half to death, but you you're so you know, you're 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 a twelve year old boy, so you can't act like you're scared half to death, so you gotta (laughs) act like you're tough, you know. And I remember us wandering through the woods and I remember how relieved I was when I saw this tiny little speck of light off in the distance. It was the the front porch light on their house. Now, a 60 watt light bulb isn't a whole lot of light. Especially in a great big old dark world. One of the lessons I learned that night was the darker it is, the less light it takes for the light to stand out. No matter how dark it is, the smallest amount of light cuts through the darkness. Even, even a little th- I mean, you think about, you think about the moon and how big it is and the light that it can reflect. The sun and how big it is and how much light that it shines. We're talking about a 60 watt light bulb out in the middle of nowhere in the dark of night, but it was enough for us to be able to see our way back home. And the point I'm trying to make is this. Our world is darkened right now because of a rejection of the will and wisdom of God. And the darker the world is, Easier it is for light to be seen. But people can't see light. If all it is is intellectual things inside my head. People can't see that. One of the first things that we're told about Jesus. Is that when he came into this world. That he went about doing good. Jesus went about doing good. And you read story after story after story of Jesus. And the funny thing is, we always we focus on all of these teachings of Jesus. And well, we should. But the thing that stands out to most people, if you ask the average person on the street, what do you know about Jesus? They're not going to be able to give you theology. They're not going to be able to teach you doctrines. But strangely enough, most people are going to know things like he fed hungry people. He took care of sick people. He helped poor people. He loved everybody. He served everybody. He forgave everybody. You ever considered how strange it is that this man Jesus, as far as we know, he never wrote anything. Now, I know we could make an argument intellectually that, well, you know, all scriptures by the inspiration of God. You know, set that aside. I'm talking about the physical man, Jesus of Nazareth. As far as we know, he never wrote anything or anything that he wrote, it never was preserved. He didn't write a book. He never traveled more than about 90 miles from the place. that He was born in Bethlehem. He spent some of his early years down in Egypt, and that would have been the farthest that he traveled, and then most of the rest of his life is going to be spent in Nazareth. And if you just kind of drop a pen and draw a circle, it's about a 90-mile radius, and that's as far as he ever traveled in his entire life. Never wrote a book. He lived and died in about three decades, only 33 years old. And you would be hard pressed to find a place on earth today where he's not known. Why? Because of what he did. In fact, when he died, one of the things that one of the people who actually was participating in his execution said was truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, what was it What was it that Jesus did that convinced this guy? Did he do some miracle while he was on the cross? No. It was the way that he faced death. The way that he responded to his enemies. As they're mocking him, spitting on him, taunting him, saying, come down off the cross if you're really the son of God. Here's what you hear him saying. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The point I'm trying to make is this. The way that we impact the world for Jesus today is less about the ability to quote scriptures to people who don't believe that these are scriptures, more about the way we treat people. All of the things that Jesus did, He said to His disciples, now you go and do likewise. As I've done unto you, you do to one another. You want to be great? Be a servant. You want to be like your father? Be merciful. Forgive. You want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? People are naked. Clothe them. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're sick, care for them. If they're in prison, visit them. That's what you do to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to scare some of you half to death and that's okay because sometimes we need to be scared. Jesus never said, go to church. But he did say all that other stuff that I said. Now I want you to ask yourself an honest question. What do I put more emphasis on? Getting up on Sunday morning, getting dressed in my nice clothes and coming to a building, or feeding hungry people, caring for sick people, visiting people who are in prison, Which one best describes my faith? If it's the first one, I'm not saying any of that's bad. There's nowhere else I'd rather be on Sunday than gathered together with the people of God for the purpose of worshiping God. That is the food that sustains me in a dark world, Monday through Saturday. But that's for me. That's what feeds my soul. When we sing these songs together, that's what lifts up my spirit. When we gather together around the Lord's table, that's what reminds me of the blessing that I have to be a part of the family of God and to have experienced forgiveness and to have a seat at the king's table. When I come together with people like you and we pray, there's the comfort that I need that God is with us and God hasn't forgotten me and God hasn't abandoned me. All of that, but that's all for me. And do a thing in the world for them. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's getting harder and harder to get them to come in here. <laughs> Maybe things have changed because God's trying to change us. I think it's our instinct sometimes whenever things go badly that we automatically assume that it's the bad people's fault. You know, the world's bad because Because of the way people out in the world are. But if we reason through that for a minute. It doesn't make a lot of sense. When has the world ever not been bad? Creation. The world's always been the world. I mean I don't. I don't don't get surprised or disappointed when my dog barks. Because that's what dogs do. Dogs bark. And when people who don't know Jesus. Live like they don't know Jesus. It doesn't surprise me. But it's always been that way. Maybe things are dark. Because we're hiding our light under a bushel. Rather than letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works. and Glorify our Father which is in heaven. I'm all for knowing and learning everything that you can about the scriptures and the way of Jesus. I think that's pretty obvious. I've spent most of my life doing that. That's how much I love it. But the simplest way that I can influence the world for Jesus is not through knowing it and not even through trying to make other people know it intellectually, but letting them experience it relationally. Church can go to them. You don't have, They don't have to come to church. Church can go to them wherever they are, and take the light into dark places. One of the the prophets, prophets about prophecies concerning Jesus was that when he came, that light would go into a place where there had only been darkness. Now, the prophets were speaking about the Gentile world because the Israelites, they always had the law of God. They always had that light. Because they always had the law of God. But the rest of the world didn't have that. And so they said when the Messiah would come. That he would take the light into the Gentile world. Into the places that had only known darkness. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Usually to the disappointment and frustration of his disciples. There was an occasion when they were up in Capernaum. And if you're. You're looking at a map of the the biblical world. Capernaum is northeast of Jerusalem. Kind of out in the country. And on the way to Jerusalem, there there was a short, straight road that could get you to Jerusalem quickly. And it went right through Samaria. But most Jews wouldn't take that road. They would take another road that took them on the eastern side of the Jordan River and added about three days to their trip because they didn't want to go through Samaria. You remember in John chapter 4 where Jesus is having a conversation with a with a woman at the well of Jacob in Samaria. And he asked her for a drink of water. And, and the woman is kind of surprised that Jesus asked her for a drink of water because she says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking a drink of water from me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Your people don't have anything to do with my people. So what are you doing here and asking for a drink of water? By the way, she wasn't the first person to ask that question. The disciples kind of had the same reaction when Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem. And they said, great. And they started heading east across the river. And he goes, no, no, we're, we're going through Samaria. And I imagine they kind of said, we're going where? Mm-hmm. Samaria. Lord, don't you know what kind of people they are down there? I would imagine Jesus said, yeah, I do. And that's exactly why we're going to Samaria. You know, a funny thing happened when Jesus goes to this place where his people don't go, where people like him Don't go associate with people that people like him, good people, righteous people, godly people, church going people don't associate with people like that. A funny thing happened when Jesus went to that place, that woman left the well saying I have found the Messiah and she went back to her village and told everybody and they all show up and come out to meet Jesus because they say we want to meet him. How did it happen? Jesus took the light that he brought to the world. He went into the dark places. Now is everybody going to be drawn to the light? They're not. Because if you go back one page earlier in your Bible, John chapter 3. He has this long conversation with this religious leader. And there's some symbolism here too. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. And he comes to Jesus by night. Darkness. Now, remember when he met and spoke with the woman at the well? It was at noon, right? Literally, the brightest time of the day. So you've got a little symbolism here. This guy who comes in the dark and this woman who comes in the brightness of day. Now, when that story is over, which one of them leaves saying, I found the Messiah? It's not the religious guy. It's not the guy who could answer any question that you could ask about what does the Bible say. It's this woman that we know has been married four or five times and is now with a man that is not her husband. And yet that woman, in the midst of so much darkness, saw the light. And this man... It carried around all of this knowledge about the scriptures. You remember on another occasion, Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. I think what he meant by it is, is in your possession of them, in your knowledge of them, you think that you have eternal life because you know the Bible. And he says, but those same scriptures that you claim to know testify of me and you reject me. And so when he left the presence of Nicodemus, the latter part of John chapter 3, we all kind of get to verse 16 and we stop there. You know, the God so loved the world verse. If you look at the next verse, he says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I heard somebody say one time, if God didn't send his son to condemn the world, I doubt he sent you to condemn it. But that the world through him might be saved. Then he begins to talk about light and dark. He says, you know, the light shines in the darkness. But some men love the dark. So they hate the light. I think all of us hate the light initially. Because there's no hiding from it. And sometimes the light can be painful, especially if you've grown accustomed to the dark. You ever gone to a matinee, movie in the middle of the day, matinee? You go sit in a theater in the dark for two hours. And then you walk out. When you walk out, and they throw open those doors and it's bright day. But your eyes have gotten adjusted to the darkness. Because you see, we have the ability to get used to the dark. To grow accustomed to the dark. To even begin to light it. If you spend enough time in the dark, you'll actually begin to see and be able to navigate in the dark. And then somebody throws on the lights and what happens? Why? My wife did that to me this morning. <laughs> she threw on those lights and I was like, ah. Oh. I kept trying to open my eyes and I couldn't. I think that's true spiritually as well. We can grow so accustomed to the dark that the light, is hard to endure. Here's the thing. Just as if we spend time in the dark, we can adjust to the dark and grow to be comfortable in the dark and learn how to navigate in the dark. If we'll give it time and allow the light to shine in the dark places of our lives, eventually we'll be in to see clearly. single greatest thing that we can do to bring the light of Jesus into the world is to live that light in our lives. Let people see in you things that they don't see anywhere else. They may have family members that go to church and their family members may be racist, they may be hateful, they may be bitter, they may be unforgiving, they may be selfish, they may be all sorts of things. They don't miss a service. And if that's their understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, I don't blame them for not wanting anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with them people either. Sometimes I have to, though, so, so people remember me. We've got to shine light where darkness is, even if darkness is in our own buildings. So maybe you can be an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus that they don't see anywhere else. What does that look like? Well, it's pretty obvious when you are walking by the Spirit. Galatians 5 says that you manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And it looks like this, love, joy. You ever known any Christians that looked like they were weaned on a green persimmon? You know what I'm talking about? Did you have older cousins or brothers that pulled that on you? Hey man, you ever ate a persimmon? They're good. They give you a green persimmon and your mouth's puffered up for about two hours. Listen, Christians should be exuding joy. All they hear is griping and complaining and how bad this is and how awful that is. And that's all they know. of the Christians in their life just constantly talking about how bad everything is. Where is the joy? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe they've never actually seen somebody who follows Jesus. They may know a ton of people that go to church. But have they ever seen someone who follows Jesus? And I'm telling you that if you will be that person Wherever the darkness is. It could be at your work. It could be in your house. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be in your family. It doesn't matter where it is. If you will be that light in the darkness, people who are looking for the light will not be able to miss you and they'll make their way to you. And With you, they'll make their way to Jesus, who's the true light. In John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus came into the world to be the light of the world. In him was life, and her life was the light of men. You know, it's funny. Everybody in here either learned or taught. You learned when you were little or you taught little ones that song. <clears throat> this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. There's all kind of variation. One thing I've traveled all over, and done BBS's and this, and there's a whole lot of versions of that song. I'm gonna tell you. So whenever somebody starts singing it, I kind of always lag back a minute because I don't know which version, and I wind up singing the wrong version. So I just kind of lag back till I know which one they're doing. But they all have the same idea that I'm a, I'm gonna let my light shine all around the neighborhood, and I'm not gonna let Satan blow out my light. And I'm not going to hide it under a bush. In other words, I'm not going to take that light and contain it, confine it to a building once or twice or three times a week and that's where my light shines. No, I'm going to let it shine all the time. The People who are in darkness who are looking for light, and there are, there are a lot of people who are looking for light. Let me be drawn to you. you. know, we can be like those scientists that sat around with their pencils and papers and calculators and compasses and protractors and graph paper and all of that stuff and figure out all the, the ways and doctrines and right answers and all of that and be proud of ourselves when we check our word. We can be like that guy that was willing to strap himself to a rocket and say, I believe it so much that I'm going to put myself out there. And I'm going to prove it by the way that I live my life. You know, one of the most powerful ways that you can do that is that people that know you see a change in you. I told you the other day that When I became a Christian. Uh, I, 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 anybody that knows me knows that I, I talk about it kind of funny. If you don't know what I'm talking about. I was baptized when I was 13. But I became a Christian when I was 20. Because that's all that happened when I was 13. I got baptized. And that's all that happened. I wasn't a Christian. At 20 I became a Christian. I decided that I was going to live my life as best as I could. Following this man Jesus. And I've never changed that. There have been a lot of times I've fallen. There have been times I've drifted. He's always drawn me back. But I've never wavered from the fact that I was going to follow. Probably in the first five years of me being a Christian, I baptized more people simply based on the fact that they saw me become a different person. It wasn't about what I knew, it wasn't because I preached a great sermon. Listen, I, I heard my sermons back then. <laughs> I've heard him on VCR things. I don't want them out there in the world. I don't want anybody to, be able to pop them things in and see them. It wasn't because of that. It was because they knew me before Jesus and they saw me after Jesus. And they were looking for something in their life too. And they said, I don't know what it is, but he figured it out. And I'm going to ask him about it. I didn't have to go door knocking. I had people come and ask me, Hey man, what happened? <laughs> let me tell you what happened. Best thing that we can do for that world is let the world see that we know something here, not here, here. Now, hey, this feed your head up with there. Learn everything you can about Jesus. Learn everything you can from the Bible. Because blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of the sinner or sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man who delights in the <laughs> law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night and he'll be like a tree planted by a river that bears its fruit year round in all seasons and its leaves never wither. So yes, learn everything you can about the will and wisdom of God that's revealed in his word. But don't forget to show people that you know Jesus here with your life. That you've experienced him. You have a relationship with him. Maybe they'll let you introduce him to you. (laughs) Maybe tonight somebody knows it's time for a change. I hope so. I do not believe that there's a better way to live than following Jesus. That's not easy. I don't say it's easy. It's hard. Because I'm constantly being confronted with my own selfishness and my own pride. And Jesus says, mm, that's not the way to go. That's a way that leads to darkness. That's a way that leads to destruction. That's a way that leads to suffering. Remember, I draw you out of that. You don't want to go back to that. And, but I want to. But he says, yeah, I know you want to, but it's going to hurt you in the end. It's not going to be easy. But there is no better way to live your life. If you want to know whether or not the Bible is true, I'm not going to try to prove it to you with facts or history or science or any of that stuff. I want to tell you the simplest way to know whether or not the Bible is true is make a serious commitment that you are going to base your life on the teachings of Jesus. You're going to live it. And give it a few months and then come back and tell me whether or not it's true. I've never had any, not a single person come back to me and say, yeah, I tried doing that didn't work I've had several people come back and go dude I thought you were crazy it's true truly this was the son of God maybe you want to start that tonight we would love nothing more than to help you take the journey with Jesus into the water of baptism very resurrected Want again to live a new life. We'll make that journey with you, even if we've already made it. We'll be glad to get in that water with you. And if you've done that, but you know that your faith has been all here and not here, hope tonight that you'll make a change. If we can help you, let us know. While we stand.